Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Chris McDaniel, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio... A very weary Jason Rosenbaum. I think we're all very weary. And... <laughs> Joe Manis. And our special guest this week... Bob Onder. Yes, uh, we are all very weary. And thank you to everyone for, uh, you know... Taking yeah, the helm and, when I was when I was out last Chris week. Chris has a little bit of a beard, so uh, uh, sort <laughs> of apathy, um, but just going to see where it goes here. Yes, um, it's, but we're we're, we're going to take a little bit of a step back, and we're bringing in a, the state senator elect from yes. Western St. Charles County, the yeah. winner of the most uh, competitive state senate primary of the last primary, and explain why in effect he's the uh, senator elect because there is no Democratic opponent in November. Yes, and even if there, and to be honest, even if there was, he was probably going to win anyways because it's a very Republican district. It is about sixty-five percent at last check. But before we get into anything, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, yeah, Jason, I'm a lifelong St. Louisan. I grew up in uh, South St. Louis County in Afton. Um, went to uh, went to school all the way through um, St. Louis University High School, and then I crossed Forest Park to Washington Another University. Another St. Louis University High School grad. We've had so well, that's many. true. Chris that's true. Coster, there's a number of St. Louis. Uh, Speaker high Jones grads. is a. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like we've had more guests on on the show too who were St. Louis University. It's just more, a, more so it's than just, just the ones we've. Very listed. popular school for some reason. I guess yeah. so. Just, I just wanted to that's segue into place. that because that means something since it's that's, from both parties. That's a great place, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think Mike Doss was a um, South St. Louis uh, Democrat from Slough High yes. but when, yes. I was, when I was a, a, in the Missouri House. But, yeah, I, um, I uh, crossed Forest Park, went to Washington U as a pre-med student, um, crossed back again and went to Wash U Medical School. Um, yeah, along the way, I uh, actually got a law degree right here in the uh, in Midtown at St. Louis right. Law School. Back when you were in the House, then Senator John Loudon said your um, degrees were something that should be cloned. He did say that, <laughs> which is ironic that. because of your position against embryonic stem cell right, research. Right, I was the chair of Missourians Against Human Cloning. But but continue. Yeah, yeah. So so I've been, uh, but I live. Um, I, I, I in uh, 1992, I started in private medical practice. Um, and I'm an allergist in West St. Louis County and okay. St. Peter's. And I live with my wife, Allison, and our six kids in Lake St. Louis. Uh, so, And in 2006, I was elected to this Missouri State House. What, what prompted you? To get to get into politics when yeah. you've got a law degree and, yeah, uh, and yeah. you're a physician, it's well, like it's the wonderful and pay. Six yeah, kids. it's the wonderful it's pay, the, in, the the pay <laughs> in the legislature. That's right. Well, you know, I've always felt called to public service. I've always been active in political campaigns. So over the years, I've been a supporter of Jim Talent and uh, Mike Gibbons. Once upon a time, was my state senator. Um, you know, of course, I uh, grew up. I, I came of age in the Ronald Reagan era. I, I've always felt called to public service and. And I think my somewhat unique background uh, brings something to public life. I think it's good that we have people, especially today, who understand health care in the legislature and um, a, a thorough knowledge of the law and being able to read bills and understand what we're voting on, uh, what we're amending, uh, is, a good, is a good asset as well in the legislature. Okay, so go on about your house. So, yeah, sorry. so I, I, I spent a short time in the Missouri House, I think a pretty productive time. I, uh, passed, a, I passed a major pro-life bill in 2008. It, it made it through the House, but then didn't make it through the Senate. Yeah, which bill was that? And that was um, 
I, I, that was the big pro-life omnibus bill. I'm, I'm, I'm yes. blanking on the bill yes. number back then. Yeah. And but but what did pass and got signed into law by Governor Matt Blunt was House Bill 1549, which was the uh, omnibus immigration bill yes. to uh, to uh, at the time uh, Chris Kobach, who was an expert on the on the subject, now Kansas Secretary of State, said that gave us the se- second strongest uh, bill in the country to fight illegal immigration. Yes, I remember that bill well because its passage was kind of in doubt because it was being held up because of the village law controversy. Our, 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 our older listeners may remember yeah, that. Yeah, there wasn't anything pertaining to the village no. law, but that was um, something that to some extent uh, weakened our speaker at the time, and I think, um, yeah, it was But we, we don't want to get too into Too that much yet. into the weeds there, yeah. But, but, so, but here's what, but here, what happened was, you, you may have still be a member of the House, but um, Matt Blunt decided not to run for re-election. The 9th Congressional District uh, opened up. and Because uh, uh, Kenny Holshoff, who was the congressman, decided to run for governor. Exactly, yeah. And uh, so I, after a lot of reflection and consultation with family and friends, decided to run for Congress. Uh, that was the 9th Congressional District. Which no longer exists, Which by no the longer way. exists, but... Uh, uh, and in a five-person primary, came in second to Blaine Lukemeyer, and um, there are no um, uh, consolation prizes for second place. So I went back to private life yes. and my medical practice. So what did you learn from that campaign? Because we've talked about this a couple of times, and we've had people on the show who have lost races before but come back and win. It, it, yeah. it, it absolutely happened in your case. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I think I learned a number of things. Um, one is I think that um, you've got to be really realistic about what your support, what your grassroots support on the ground is. Uh, the 9th Congressional District was something like 22 counties. And um, the the victor Blaine Lukemeyer had run in all twenty two of those counties before because he had uh, he had run for treasurer unsuccessfully. Um, I think you have to be realistic about um, about the uh, manpower and the amount of money it's going to take uh, to win that race. And I think uh, really the candidate has to remain engaged and make the big decisions. That's not something that can be delegated. And uh, I think those are all things that we did differently the second time around. So flash forward to a couple weeks ago, which as we know, seems like 20 years ago at this point, you were engaged in a competitive Senate primary for now former Scott former Senator Scott Roop. See, he's still Scott Roop. He's not former Scott Roop. (laughs) It was between you Representative Chuck Gashenberger and former Representative Vicki Schneider. It was a very expensive contest. Yes. All three candidates put in at least $200,000 of their own money, although, although I don't know how much uh, money yeah. of that Vicki Schneider spent. How did you pull it off? Um, you know, grassroots, grassroots, and grassroots. Because as, as you alluded to, at the end of the day, we all had, well, I, I raised a little bit more money than my opponents, but we really uh, ran a strong grassroots game for almost a year and a half. Um, When I did enter the race about a year and a half ago, a lot of the grassroots folks in St. Charles County really did rally to my side. Folks who might go to Pachyderm's club meetings or Liberty, uh, there's a group called the Liberty Forum, which is a libertarian organization group, uh, oriented group out there. There are several Tea Party patriot type groups. And I was able to get those folks on my side, but not only just on my side, Bob, I'll vote for you, but working for me, knocking doors for me, uh, spreading the word for me. 
um, almost from the very beginning. So we knocked on uh, 25,000 doors. And uh, by election day, we had identified um, over 2,000 households where someone was supporting me, which can translate to, into like 4,000 votes. Um, at the end of the day, I got 14,000 votes. So um, gra the grassroots effort was really key. And then when the ads and the mailers start to come out, um, people relate to the person that they met on their front door step. And um, it, it, we ended up, oh, um, I, I won with 64% of the vote yes. in a three-way race. It was not even close. Yeah. So so now um, you're going to be kind of in, in limbo for a while. You're not going to be voting in veto session. Right. You're not going to be sworn in until January 2015. Do you plan on being in Jeff City anyway? Yeah, I'm going to go session? down for the veto okay, session. Okay, so what will yes. you be doing since you're not be voting? Well, mostly observing and I think trying to get to know and to meet some of my new colleagues. Some of them I know quite well. I served in the Missouri House, for instance, with um, uh, Speaker Pro, or, um, um, uh, Pro Tem uh, Tom Dempsey and with uh, Floor Leader Ron Richards and Ed Emery and a number of the other senators. But I just want to, uh, you know, uh, Jimmy Linasheed, uh, Maria Chappelle Nadal and I all served together in the Missouri House. Um, so just becoming reacquainted with some of those folks. I, um, I'm going to be starting to interview staff. I'm going to be uh, starting to talk to folks about, uh, about a legislative agenda. So there's a lot to do between now and January. But I am blessed that I already know that I'm going to be sworn in as a senator in January. I don't have a, a tough general election to contend with. Will you be lobbying for any of the bills? I mean, obviously not officially, yeah. but unofficially? Well, not 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 particularly. There are definitely some of the bills that, that I would like to see uh, see the governor overridden on. Anything particular? Well, the pro-life bill I would like to the see. 72 um, hour yeah, the 72-hour waiting bill. Can you hour tell me why period. you think that's a good idea? Well, I think, I, I think that we we need to th this is a momentous life ending decision that that needs to be made and i think that um that that a little bit more time for reflection on that momentous decision is is a good idea do you think though the the critics of it have criticized the lack of a exception for rape or incest um what do you think of the that type of uh argumentation well, again, I, I don't think the abortion decision should ever be rushed into, um, regardless of the circumstance of the, of the pregnancy. Now, oh, Jeff. Now, now, some have been, okay, there's been some questions about whether or not uh, the 72-hour waiting period also would apply to, let's say, people who take, I mean, women who take the morning-after pill, or like if they're uh, raped and they can take, you know, the the pill right away. Yeah, would that affect my, that? My reading of the bill is that it wouldn't. Um, the the practice of some emergency rooms of of giving morning after pills. Uh, I, I don't believe because because there would because technically that's not an abortion because there's no diagnosed pregnancy. So no, I don't think that would affect that. Now, the veto session will be happening in the midst of this situation in Ferguson, and obviously you represent Western St. Louis County, not North oh, St. Louis or County. Or Western St. Charles West, County, yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> I, I apologize, Senator-elect Dave Schatz, for, for also giving <laughs> your di district. But it seems like this, this has become a national issue. Um, Governor Jane Nixon's leadership has been brought into sure. question, and it's pretty clear to me that when this is all said and done, there could be some state legislative blowback from this, whether it be policing, whether it be whether the state has, changes a bunch of things. 
I, I guess, what's your general impression of the situation so far, especially the governor's uh, role and leadership throughout this entire situation? Right, right. Uh, uh, you know, I am uh, somewhat critical of the governor's leadership on this issue. I tend to uh, to agree with the county prosecutor, Bob McCullough, also a Democrat, um, that it wasn't appropriate to replace the county police with the uh, highway patrol. I'm, I don't really believe that the governor has the legal authority to replace the county police with the highway patrol. Of course, if you do need military-level intervention, the governor does have the ability to call out the National Guard, which he which he did. And I think by the time he did that, that was the appropriate thing to do. But uh, no, I, I, I think that I, I am somewhat critical of the governor in this. What, what sort of what do you think about the possibility of legislative changes next year um, in, in response to this? What, what are your thoughts on, you know, increasing the prevalence of cameras on police officers, for example, as, as one thing that the legislature could change? Well, yeah, I think cameras in police cars are probably a really good idea. If we knew, if we knew more quickly what the real facts of this case are, it could, it could, it could, it could have perhaps nipped it all in the bud if it turns out, for instance, that the gov that the uh, police officer did act appropriately. I don't know what the facts of the case are, um, and the the U.S. system of criminal justice is quite appropriately um, slow, methodical, and um, and uh, and a suspect is is is. Uh, presumed innocent until proven guilty. Uh, but yeah, I think I think technology can help us. I don't think it's a panacea. Mm -hmm. um, I think certainly if there were a second police officer in the car, that, that might also have been uh, been helpful. Uh, but, but I don't have any specific ideas as to what legislation might be called for. I think part of it will depend on how this all evolves and what the facts of the case are. Well, some have been calling for having him where cameras because i think there was a camera necessarily on the car but it wasn't where you right. could see anything so i mean from right. this instance so um i mean right can't, yeah might the legislature do something about that or, or seek grants i'm just asking. i think we'll have to look at that I, I think we'll have to look at that um my i i think it's a possibility yeah. just just more generally though yeah. i mean Jay Nixon, the governor, doesn't have a super great relationship with the Republicans in the legislature to begin with. That's an understatement. I think that's an understatement. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I'm pretty sure that there are going to be some Democratic members who are not particularly happy with his performance. There are probably some yeah. that are. It depends that's on who true. they are. So do you think this is going to make it harder for him to pursue an agenda or convince people to, you know, not override his vetoes. What do you think the impact on his basic power over the legislature is going to be from this situation? Well, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, Jason. I think that um, uh, that the he the governor has not had much support among Republicans um, to begin with. But I think he's further, both on this issue and the education issue, eroded his uh, influence and his um his relationship with some of the Democrats, and specifically some of the uh, St. Louis City Democrats. So, uh, no, I think I think it I think it's it's not good for the governor. And I, oh, let's let's kind of transition into yeah. The education. Yeah. Because you know the school transfer issue did affect St. Charles. Yes, it affected it did. your district in particular because Francis, Francis Hall is Hall. in part of your district. Right. It's kind of as of now, I guess we're about, what, two, three weeks away from veto session? Yes. Right. Yeah. 
the the school transfer bill that was vetoed it, as of now doesn't have a seem like it has a great chance of being overridden mm-hmm. so with that with that possibility in mind and given that this has impacted your district, what, what do you want to see on that issue? And what do you want to see change to the further transfer process? Right. Yeah, that bill um, was it, it passed overwhelmingly in the Senate. Uh, I think only three uh, dissenting votes. But in the House, I believe it was about 20 votes short of the override threshold. Um, I think that bill had some really good things in it. I think the idea of accrediting uh, building by building within a school district so that a, a given a given school building within a school district, if it was performing well, uh, there's no reason to transfer those kids, ship those kids across town uh, to a to a better school. But I think our our we have this this real epidemic of poorly performing schools. Um, throughout the, um, uh, particularly in the urban areas of this state. And I think we do need to do something something about it. And um, I, I think the state school board acted inappropriately when they created this uh, this. Uh, this this uh, bizarre—we're um, not giving it a credit. It's not accredited, but it's not not accredited status for the Normandy school district, so as to avoid the transfer law. Um, and uh, and I guess it was ju- just this week a uh, court decision agreed with my position there that they probably acted illegally. So it's in flux. But I I think I I really would look forward to working across the aisle with with uh, Democrats whose constituents are affected uh, by the Normandy transfer issue. And, but I, it would really be helpful to have some leadership from the governor on this issue as well. Um, one of the things that I think is going to be an issue, depending on uh, whatever happens in the election, is just kind of the force of the so-called conservative bloc in the Senate for yes. being able to block legislation. I think this is particularly pertinent because there's a belief that if you winnow the conservative faction down to one or two, it may be easier to pass something like Medicaid expansion or some form of Medicaid expansion. Right. We've talked a little bit about we this did, before, yeah. but there has been some thought that you may play a role in the Medicaid expansion issue. What's kind of your take on that and also the Medicaid quote-unquote reform issue that people like Senator Ryan Silvey and Representative Jay Barnes have put forward, especially since you right, are as a, a physician. Doctor. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, Medicaid, uh, there's n- no question that no one knows uh, better than than a physician that Medicaid in Missouri and elsewhere in the country is a broken system. Um, we're given, we give Medicaid recipients a, a card, essentially, that says all the health care you want free, and then they try to get care, and it's very difficult. And uh, in theory, having um, having that card should allow those folks to uh, avail themselves of primary care and stay out of emergency rooms. But we know from the recent Oregon study uh, that that's not what happens. It's quite the opposite. Um, so we need serious reform of of Medicaid. Can you be and, specific? I mean, yeah. what, are, what are come some things that you would do? I think that that we need to develop a system that where Medicaid patients have some sort of skin in the game. To some extent, they become health care consumers. So you mean like some sort of co-payments? So, so things like co-payments and deductibles and so on. Of course, folks who qualify for Medicaid are poor, so you know they, they've got to be very reasonable. But some sort of um, 
some sort we've got to put in the in, in, in and this and this goes throughout our healthcare system too not just medicaid but when you separate the payer of healthcare from the consumer of healthcare uh, and the consumer of healthcare has no skin in the game. It, you, you tend to get over overutilization, and again, especially things like emergency rooms, which are not the best way to deliver care to begin with. So I think healthcare homes, um, some copays, maybe maybe a health savings account out of which those copays could be paid, um, and uh, and just incentives for wellness are, are just some things we could look at. Now, now in Missouri, which has one of the lowest right. uh, uh, thresholds, th- thresholds yeah. in the country. Basically, if someone makes twenty four hundred a year, they don't qualify. So right. I mean, so how would they be able? I mean, I'm just playing right. devil's advocate. Right. Here. I think no. I think we can. I think we do need to. We do need to look at uh, look at eligibility uh, levels as well. So what? Yeah. What raising but, but eligibility? Again, well, but no. Yeah. In no. But I, I would say I would say with regard to the copays, I think some sort of a uh, some sort of a health savings account. So there was a sense that the Medicaid patient was spending their own money when they say. Go go uh-huh. to the emergency room that has X copay versus go to a primary care doctor where the copay is a tenth of X. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But do you but you you didn't really give a firm commitment when you were talking to me that you're going to basically replace John Lamping as the conservative you know blocker of things. You're yeah. probably going to be a little more open minded to yeah. different things. Yeah, and, I, and yeah, you alluded to uh, Senator Sylvie and uh, Representative Barnes legislation, and I'm not intimately familiar with those. There's no question those bills. I'm uh, there's no question that a uh, full blown Jay Nixon or Barack Obama take the money and run approach I, I cannot support. But but I think we need to look. You have all the options on the table. How do you think the Senate will be in 2015? So it's still going to be Republican, obviously, but it's always been kind of factionalized since the supermajority sure. happened. Do you expect that to continue, or what do you think happens there? Yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, the Senate's an interesting place, and a lot of a lot of what goes on in the Senate has to do with the personalities and the relationships between people in the Senate. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm not as not as intimately familiar with those with those uh, those relationships and those personalities as I'm sure I will be a year from now. Uh, but uh, but I I do think the Senate it can be a place where things are very. Uh, Fractious, but I also think it's a place where where folks can work together in a bipartisan way and get things done. Joe, you wanted to get into St. Charles yeah, issues. Now, yes. Yeah. What What are the particular issues that you're going to be pushing uh, for St. Charles, which is frankly, you know, a, a increasingly a more influential player right. in Jefferson City because it's where people are moving. Right. Right. Well, I think the issues in St. Charles County are, are much like the issues across the state. Um, we, Missouri could be doing better. Missouri is 47th out of 50 in economic growth over the past 15 years. Uh, St. Charles County, of course, is more prosperous in than many areas in the state. But I think, um, I, I think creating policies that will uh, promote job creation, promote prosperity. Examples. Yeah. Well, I think I think that the legislature um, was off to a good start last year with the uh, tax uh, reform bill. Um, it was quite a modest tax tax reform bill, but I think that's a step in the right direction. Would, was, would, would you like to see lower income taxes and higher sales taxes, or how yeah, would you well, like to see Yeah, it? The, the problem with that, the, yeah, many, time, many times um, tax reformers have advocated for moving away from a 
production tax and income tax and toward a consumption right. tax. And in, in, and broadly speaking, I'd be in favor of that approach, except in Missouri, we already have very high sales tax. Um, we have so many exemptions to the sales tax that the sales tax is quite high. Of course, if the transportation tax had passed, we'd be three quarters of a cent even higher. It did higher. not pass, it, of by course, the way. It, of course, did not, yes. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I think another place to look, though, is that we Missouri has, um, has very, very um, expansive tax credit programs. And I think if those could be scaled back, we could um, afford some reduction in the, in the overall tax rates for all Missourians. Now, you and the governor, or actually be on the same side that is as, far, true. as far as the uh, tax credit program. That is true. Yeah, that is true. The governor has been an advocate of tax credit reform. So the other thing that I think was kind of an interesting crevice in your race is St. Charles County is becoming kind of a mini hotbed of union activity, mainly because a lot of people from North St. Louis County have moved there. And uh, I don't think they got really behind you at all. No, the unions didn't do so well in St. Charles no, County on August fifth. Um, the the unions uh, supported um, Vicki Schneider in my race, and uh, you know, as she I I had sixty four percent. She she had twenty percent. Uh, they supported um, someone named Mike Swires over Kurt Barr, and Kurt. Beat it, beat it, beat beat Mike two to one. So um, there were a couple of other races where they got involved. So um, no, I'm I'm uh, I and Representative Barr are in favor of right to work. Okay. I think that is a reform that we need to move Missouri forward. And um, the unions certainly don't agree with me on that one. But I think it stands to reason because we saw this. I think last or this year when they tried to pass it through the House, they didn't get enough votes. That's true. Even if they got it through the House, getting it through the Senate seems like an awfully tough prospect at this point, especially because with the, the Democratic filibuster. governor and yeah, the filibuster. Yeah, yeah the, filibu- the filibuster and the Democratic governor, of course. Um, so uh, realistically, of course, uh, the legislature could put right to work on the ballot without the governor's signature. Um, Would you advocate the- that? You know that that's really more of a strategic decision, um, and uh, you know that that's something you'd want to look at polling. It is my understanding that some of the early polling in the right to work um, que- debate this last session was that right to work. If the election were held on the day the poll was held, it would have passed. Uh, of course, the unions would be very uh, energized and mobilized to try to defeat it. So I think the uh, more straightforward way is is to have a Republican governor sign it. Is there any of the Republicans? I mean, right now we've got only one announced, Catherine Hannaway. We've got State Auditor Tom Schweik, who is seriously looking at it. And then you've got some people like Blaine Luchtemeyer who are being encouraged. Is there anybody who you're encouraging? Well, I know all three of those folks. They're They're all great public servants. I think any one of them would be a vast improvement over Governor Jay Nixon, uh, but I haven't taken a position in the governor's race. Do you think that, you know, you actually were in the legislature when Chris Coster was a Republican? Yes. Uh, briefly. And um, he's now the attorney he's general. He's now the attorney general, yes. Democrat likely governor. governor candidate. He seems, he, you know, a lot of Republicans criticize him for various things. They don't like the fact they switched parties, but I think few people would say that he's not a formidable candidate. What, what do you think is gonna it's gonna take for any of those Republican candidates to win the governor's mansion back? Given that he's a great fundraiser, he has a great speaking voice, 
you know, and he's been a state he's been a statewide official for six or seven years now, so he has some name recognition. What's it going to take to beat him? Yeah, no, you're right, Jason. All of those things make um, uh, the, Chris Coster a pretty formidable Especially candidate. Especially the speaking voice, by the way. And uh, <laughs> yes, uh, but the um, and one thing that would really help is if the Republican Party could unite behind a candidate early and avoid a primary. Because uh, you alluded to Chris Coster's fundraising ability, um, the worst thing that could happen to uh, my party would be a knockdown, dragout primary in which uh, a lot of Republican dollars get spent, and then uh, go into uh, the general election yeah. underfunded against. What do, a what do you think the likelihood of that is of uniting behind one candidate early on? Um, I, I'm not sure at this point. I sure hope we can do it. It is August 2014, so I guess there's still time. <laughs> a little bit of time. Sarcasm, did he? <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit of time. All right, I'm going to close this off here. Uh, we all have a, a lot of a lot of work to get back to doing, unfortunately. And you have a lot of allergies to clear. I do. <laughs> my allergies have been terrible, by the way. It's ragweed now. Oh, yeah, I was going to yeah. say, yeah, because I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. an allergy-like magnet. Mm-hmm. Yes. So. I'm yeah, sure all of our listeners well. care deeply <laughs> about our allergies. They, it, they can hear it in our voice, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. Uh, but, but to close this out here, uh, you can read all of our stories at stlpublicradio.org. You can follow me on Twitter at, at CSMcDaniel. Jason. Jay Rosenbaum. Joe. Uh, Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. And you. And underforsenate.com. Very good. We'll be back next week. Until then, so long. So long. Thanks.